Good evening, wherever you are, and thanks for joining the Just Like the Movies podcast. We always appreciate you clicking on. And uh, we are talking about the mind-bending Martian action romp from 1990, Total Recall. I have a lot to say about this movie. John, maybe not so much. This might be a repeat of our RoboCop episode for anybody who uh, who listened to that <laughs> one. But uh, before we get into any of that, I want to check in with my co-host. I want to see how you're doing, man. How you feeling today? Feeling good. My New York Giants somehow won a football game. I have no idea how that happened. The Yankees <laughs> snuck into a sort of playoff situation where they had to win a wild card game. Total Recall is going to get three titties out of ten from me, Mike. <laughs> Oh, I was not expecting that. Uh, you know that actress supposedly like that whole thing. Like she took it really hard, and it, like she wouldn't even go on the Tonight Show because she felt so ashamed about wearing three prosthetic breasts. And oh, I want to meet the the special effects uh, creature effects guru who molded those and 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 like just curious if you some kind of like perv like no like we need more nipple like we need. The areola is not big enough. We need more circumference. Well, I want to know who made the command decision to, like, squeeze them all into one row as opposed to going to, like, with a triangular formation, like, one up <laughs> like one up on, the like, the sternum and then, like, two where they oh, normally are. Oh, like a, like a bowling set where you have two and then the one in the center underneath, like when you're re-rack in, in beer pong. Give me the beer pong titty rack. All right, so we found one thing John liked about the movie, the three-breasted hooker, Mary. (laughs) Well, three things I liked about the movie, if we're being fair. (laughs) Oh, sensational. So, all right, so do you... This was an R-rated movie, and it was a very hard R, being that it was a Paul Verhoeven film, which basically all of his films, it's like a rite of passage. They get rated X, and then they have to make edits to, to make them palatable for the main, for the mainstream adult audience do you yeah do you remember the first time you saw this movie or now um i can't pinpoint it specifically it was definitely not in theaters i can tell you that yeah um it, it had to have been one of those when you get old enough and you start having sleepovers with your friends and you're like let's go rent a movie let's rent total recall or something uh, like that you know what i mean yeah this was a home yeah. video one for me too i think yeah and i have a lot of memories of watching this over at my uncle's house we spent a lot of time over there and um i was actually talking about this movie with my cousin and my cousin's about six years younger than me and um like, we were too young to be watching that movie. He was way too young. But he, like, you know, he wanted to be part of the group. So he watched the movie. And, it, like, he was just talking about his memories about how he was just watching stuff. And he, like, he knew he couldn't handle it. But he was, he was like, powering through it. So he could, like, you know, be part of the boys. Which, you know, kind of an endearing childhood memory. I don't have a specific memory about watching it. But, I, like, for some reason, I always associate this memory with, or this movie with uh, my uncle's house like and it was just something we would do over there uh if we ever get to this one uh, unforgiven is another one of those movies i, I watched oh nice it. i watched that over there quite a bit um but uh, Bef- before before we get too into it um mm-hmm. i just want to quickly say because i think last time we waited till the end for this one uh mm-hmm. thanks to everybody who's been listening to the to the podcast i feel like we've been kind of Indeed. getting into an even even more of a greasy wheeled groove of how I think you and I are when we conversate about these movies. The further we're going along here, we're being more natural. And uh, I knew that would that would come. But 
Uh, thanks, you know, again to everybody. Make sure if you do uh, dig what we do here, um, just copy a link and send it to a friend or, or whatever. There have been a few people who said they just stumbled upon us because there was a particular movie they liked that they looked up and they found us. So that's cool too. Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you like on your uh, preferred audio platform. We're pretty much in all the major major ones. Uh, I love Spotify. I know Apple's a big one. Amazon. Uh, Podbean, but uh, yeah, make sure you do subscribe so when a new show hits, you get uh, reminded of it and you can come listen. But also sp- spread the word; it really means a lot to us. It helps us grow, and uh, we really appreciate that. And hopefully, you guys are your faces are healed from the last time where we talked about Team America <laughs> because now this is a definitely a different type of movie with with certainly a bunch of humor in it. Maybe some unintentional. We'll get into that, Mike. Uh, but I want I want to throw it to you because this is. In your top five, this is in, in your uh, on your pretty much your Mount Rushmore of movies, right? Yeah, face. It, it was yeah. in 2017, and I'm going to stand by it. Um, I don't really want to change any of those movies because it's so much harder for me. I'm just more critical, so it's it's harder for me to think of the five movies I like the most as opposed as opposed to the five movies I hate the most. Um, which would actually be a right. top ten list because I realize that there's two movies that aren't in my bottom five that really should be, but that's a that's a conversation for another time. I need uh, to know at least one of them right now. Uh, Prometheus. Oh, I didn't even see that. I, oh. I could see that, though. I could, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it, was, it was like trying to not... It was trying not to be an Alien sequel, but then it was trying to cash in on all the recognizable stuff to get people... Like, it, they were trying to have it both ways. That's one of the, That's probably the thing I hated the most about that movie. It was just... From the start, it was just fun. It was just fundamentally dishonest, but... You know, we'll we'll talk about the uh, failings of uh, late career Ridley Scott another time. Uh, <laughs> but, and it's and it's interesting that you asked me that, and that I followed up for that for the reason that I didn't realize this. This movie, the script for it, actually predated the original Alien. It was the two writers. Um, I think it's Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusett. I think their names. I know their last names are right, but. Um, they had this idea. They wanted to option the the Philip K. Dick short story. We can remember it for you wholesale. That's why I had that little stupid line in the la- at the end of the last podcast. If anybody caught it, um, but they they knew at that time that this movie would be too expensive and too difficult to make. And this was a, this was in 1974. They first optioned the property. And now, as you know, people probably can imagine, um, you know that they've optioned like probably 20 Philip K. Dick short stories into movies, including Minority Report, which was originally supposed to be a sequel to this. But uh, the, the development cycle for this movie extremely complicated. It's almost so much so that I would consider renaming Development Hell Total Recall. Because <laughs> they first optioned the movie, the, optioned the short story in 1974, the writers did. There were over 40 drafts of a script before it was finalized and we you know we especially john like to talk about the importance of writing and so if there's any weaknesses in the movie it could be from the fact that so much had changed from the time they they tried to bring this movie to life until it actually got pushed across the finish line and it's it's impossible to understate how much of that was done by arnold schwarzenegger himself which um you know, at this time, he had been in some pretty big movies, but I don't know if he was, like, the full-blown... I think that this was, this was like, pre-T2. I think once T2 came along, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's full-blown cinematic icon, Hall of Fame. 
whatever. But when this movie was in, in production or when they were in the last stages of it, you know, he had done Predator and he'd done the original Terminator and stuff like that. So he was obviously a very big he, name. He also broke through other genres with twins, which was a good uh, <laughs> mainstream. I mean, you, you'll have to, you, know, you can laugh, but you, you can say that was, you know, more oh, of a mainstream movie for him to reach other audiences, I would say. No, you're right. I mean, I completely overlooked that because I, my, my brain is so action cooked as people can. No. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Cause twins was 88, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good call. Because I, I completely, I thought, I thought twins came later, actually, but yeah. I, I was not correct. Anyway, so wait, I want to piss you off first, Mike. Why? Um, they're making a sequel to Twins. Um. Okay. Is it going to be like gender swapped or race swapped or? Um... So, <laughs> they're they're bringing back Arnold and uh, Danny DeVito, uh-huh. and it's going to be called Triplets. mm Hmm. And they're going to have a lost brother. Great. Do you know who's playing their lost brother? Eileen Jones. <laughs> no, who's Eileen Jones? The, the, um, she was in Ghostbusters, the, the 2016 Ghostbusters. I don't even think that's her name. I think that's her but name. But I know, I know who you're talking about. Um, I think that, Melissa McCarthy. That, that I give up. <laughs> you're, no, uh, Tracy Morgan. All right. <laughs> so stay tuned for triplets. In your nearest multiplex. Man, it's like, was it always like this? It's just, they're just re, they're just rehashing and remaking all the old stuff because the new stuff just can't stick. Leslie Jones is who you were thinking Oh, was it Leslie I'm, Jones? I, I wish it was her. <laughs> oh. Anyway, that's, anyway. Uh, that, that's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, well, just considering how old Arnold is at this point in Danny DeVito, they're in their, like, mid-70s. Like yeah, like, Danny, Danny DeVito, I mean, no offense, but he's short and he's overweight. Like, he looks like he could die any second. Like, any second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, like, if anybody's living on borrowed time, it's got to be Danny DeVito. But uh, he, He's 76. Holy testicles. He'll be 77 in November. Are they really doing this movie? Anyway, yeah, we're not we're not here to talk about triplets. We're here to talk about Total Recall. Well, I did and overlook twins, you know, so that's well, that, that that's fine. But was this Mike? Was this a, was Total Recall Arnold's biggest movie before T two, uh, box office wise? I would have I would have to think so. I mean, I I don't know the twins number, <laughs> but I think it did uh, two hundred thirty one million worldwide at the time. It was the second most expensive movie ever made behind Rambo three. Twins was two seventeen. Ooh right there only on a 16 million dollar budget but total recall very like i was surprised at its total because a lot of arnold movies that we uh look back on as like his action classics you look and it's like oh that made 70 million that made 80 million Mm -hmm. like when i saw that number i was like holy cow all right and that's 1990 dollars yeah yeah back when that actually meant something especially with r-rated movies um back when back when macaulay culkin was buying mansions at eight years old (laughs) You know, it, like all the all the, the the turbulent production cycle for this, um, the the original producer was Dino De Laurentiis, and he, I mean that guy's name is everywhere. Um, I actually recognize it. The first thing that pops into my head was he was one of the producers of the Hannibal TV show, which I really really enjoyed, and I thought was going to be a complete train wreck, but it was actually I actually really liked it. Uh, hmm. But he he was trying to get this movie made, and when dune flopped at the box office he 
really kind of lost enthusiasm for it. And then the studio ended up going bankrupt. And at that time, they were trying to get David Cronenberg to direct it. And he actually, some of his ideas actually survived into the final script, like having Mar uh, mutants on Mars was his idea. I think it's ironic that he was involved at the beginning, and there's so much body horror in this movie. Like, with just the, the mutants and the, uh, you know, like, quad, the Quado character and all that stuff. Like, the, 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 the violent decompressions when people get outside of the, the Mars oh, colony. Oh, man, yeah. Which was yeah. all done with puppets, by the way. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, so this movie, like, it's just amazing that this movie exists. And Schwarzenegger convinced the production company he worked with on Red Heat to option this movie. And, of course, he negotiated a fat salary and some back end for himself, as, as was the uh, want of big, action, big, big movie stars back then. And... Uh, it kind of got the ball rolling that way. He And then once he was involved, he got so much control. Like, he had veto power over the director, the writers. He, and and whatever you think of the movie, I think it's... If you look back, like, I didn't know any of this stuff. I just didn't realize that Schwarzenegger, at this stage of his career, was this developed and savvy of an industry player. You know, he'd only been in movies for, what, 10 years at this point? Not even? Oh yeah, I would say right around that. And it's funny because he got such a late start because of his bodybuilding career. Like when he made this movie, he was forty-three. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look that good when I'm forty-three. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> even if I, I did, that is, it's yeah, it is frustrating to see that. You know, e sometimes when uh, even if I did all the steroids and I never left the gym, I wouldn't look like that by the time I was Arnold's age when he did this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> True. Yeah, but uh, same yeah, here. Yeah, a lot of crazy. Like, do you know? Like, I know we, we'll, we'll get into like. There's not that much alternate casting stuff with this movie. The most interesting stuff is around the main character. Yeah. Um, do you know who originally was supposed to play? Who the original choice was to be Quaid in this movie? Yeah, dude. Share it. The dancing man himself. No, Patrick Swayze. <laughs> That's that's correct, but before him, there was another. Oh, Mel one. Gibson. No. <laughs> Our audience knew that was coming. At this yeah, point. yeah, I knew it was coming too. I should have just. I should have just. You know what? I shouldn't even let you participate. I should have just like just kept kept Mike, droning do I, on. Do I make you want to smoke? <laughs> I mean, I do prefer to be blown before the jacuzzi. I mean, we all know this. <laughs> I'll turn the jets on for you. <laughs> got got me out of sip. Um, no, it was actually Richard. <laughs> got Dre him. <laughs> it was oh, Richard Dreyfus. That's insane. Well, because in the story, um, the short story, the Quaid character, his name was Quail, was a he. His cover story was he was an accountant or like an office drone. He wasn't a buff construction worker. That was a change that <laughs> they had to make because they wanted to bring Arnold Schwarzenegger in. Like Dino De Laurentiis, the original producer, didn't even want Schwarzenegger to audition because of the nature of the story. He's like, if we have Schwarzenegger in this movie, everybody's going to know he's an action hero. They're not going to think that he's like the sleeper agent or whatever. Now, you, pitching I mean, like scenes with Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, I'm just, like, what kind of woman do you want? <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, Sleazy. Uh, Demure. 
Damn it, Cohagen, give the people the air. <laughs> Consider it a divorce. <laughs> All right, I don't know how good either of those Richard Dreyfus impressions were. We'll those were fucking it. great Richard <laughs> Dreyfus impressions, because nobody does Richard Dreyfus impressions. I, that, that's like one of the many reasons I wish Daryl Hammond was a friend of the show. He did a great, <laughs> he did a fantastic Richard Dreyfus impression that's, during that the Star Wars audition uh, skit. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah, he was like C-3PO, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, so you have all this crazy stuff going on with the with the production cycle, this movie, that Schwarzenegger gets involved, and he just, he handpicked Paul Verhoeven. This is the RoboCop connection, because Schwarzenegger wanted to be in RoboCop, but they're like, mm. you're too big. It's not going to work. Right. And, uh... They thought it would have too many parallels to the Terminator, so he doesn't get that part. And then I think it was, I think I still think it was funny that the original producer didn't want him for this. And then he ends up taking over the whole project, and he basically handpicks the director. Then Paul Verhoeven brings all his guys back: the cinematographer, the editor, Rob Botten, who did the effects in RoboCop. And they had such a bad time on that movie; they probably thought they were never going to work together again. But as an interesting side effect of of that whole experience, uh, Rob Botten had a lot more autonomy and got a le- lot less uh, opposition from Verhoeven uh, with designing the mutants and designing Quato and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, I think that all worked. And, and it w- I think it was just one of those all's well that ends well things because they were fighting so much when the during the RoboCop production, it was so stressful. And then once they saw the final results, it, it was like he kind of had that trust with them. And remember, that was Verhoeven's first american film too so right anyway well also this if you're talking about verhoven and like uh how things sort of turn into other things i believe uh her most iconic role sharon stone got that because of how he liked her in this movie because he also directed basic instinct oh that's that was definitely on my list of things to get to have you seen basic instinct yet by the way not yet buddy all right that that's gonna be homework for you one of these days. Just uh, you know what though, I'll say this: uh, seeing Sharon Stone in this movie, I, I always liked her, you know. Mm-hmm. But just doing the rewatch, seeing her in this movie, um, for all reasons, not just you know how attractive she was, but she, you know I, she was very she did a lot of her own physicality in this movie, and I thought she was very good in her role. Uh, is edging me even closer to want it, to want to go see it. To want to, yeah, to want I mean, to well, yeah, you're le- leaving out the the fact that Sharon Stone was just ungodly hot in this movie. She, you know, she, <sighs> uh, yeah, yeah. Schwarzenegger called her the female Terminator because of all the all the you know she did a lot of her own stunts. Like she learned Taekwondo. She 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 got uh, she on a weightlifting routine, and actually posed for Playboy to show off the results. So for uh, ladies who don't want to hit the gym because they think it'll bulk you up, it, it that's. That's that's not what's gonna happen. But uh. I would I would without question let a thirty two year old Sharon Stone beat the living shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, well, I we, all, we all know that's how you think get down. Me. That's how I get down. <laughs> but yeah, beat she was actually cast because Paul Verhoeven said she could go from being timid and kind of sweet to being diabolical in like a second, and and then he said that's just what she's like in real life anyway. So, um, <laughs> but she, like when, um, in the scene where her and, um, Melina or F- Rachel Tickleton are fighting and then she kind of gets the upper hand and she pulls that knife out 
and then Quaid shoots it. Like, the look on her face, and then how it just, like, melts away. It's like, oh, I, that's what they're talking about. Like, yeah. she, she looks so psychotic, and then she's just like, honey, sweetheart. Yeah, hey. right. Like, <laughs> right. And then yeah, she, she was one of the best parts of this movie. Yeah, she was she was very good. And then um you know in the in the in the remake, they actually made her part a lot bigger because Kate Beckinsale was married to the director at the time. So they made they made her part a lot bigger and all that stuff. Kind of like kind of like they did with Mila Jovovich in the Resident Evil movies, like they created this new part for her that had mm-hmm. nothing to do with the the source material because yeah. her husband was directing those those but uh yeah. So anyway, back to the the Quaid. I don't. I don't think there were any alternate castings. They were, they they were talking about a couple other uh, women for the uh, for the Lori part, but I don't think anybody like, turned it down or anything. And that's kind of the unwritten rule on the show. But uh, at one point for the Quaid part, they were talking about maybe having Jeff Bridges do it, and then uh, or William Hurt. That was when that was another thing from when. That's crazy. Yeah, like that was a, that's another guy who keeps popping up in these late '80s, early '90s movies. It was like he was considered for everything, and I just I didn't get it. But you know who did turn down the part? Not Mel Gibson. I'm, just, I'm Superman himself, Christopher Reeve. Oh, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, yeah. that's that's wild. Yeah, and that would that would have been interesting. And who knows how long ago that was? I mean, that could have been because of the development cycle on this thing. Because it, it, Paul Verhoeven signed on in 88. They finished, it was in the can in 89. And then they think with all the post-production stuff, it didn't get released till 1990. Look, so. Christopher Reeve was a, a fantastic actor. Uh, and a lot of people just see him as Superman. And I completely get that. But he was, you know, a very professionally trained actor. Uh, very, um, took his craft seriously. But the guy signed on and did Superman: The Quest for Peace, and if you do that, no movie should be below you. So the fact that he turned—I'm sorry—the movie absolutely a stinker, a, a, such a, such a stinker. So uh, you know, if you're going to do that uh, and and go on talk shows and, and talk about how important it is to to the, the way the world is at that time or whatever he was doing, I was watching some of his interviews trying to talk about it. You know, it's surprising to hear him turn down anything. Uh, um, and that's with all due respect, because he, like I said, he was a very, very good actor. Um, still, in my opinion, one of the best Superman, if not the best ever. And uh, it's unfortunate how that accident eventually led to uh, the end of his life. Um, but uh, uh, it w- I think he would have done a great job. Uh, it, I'm not going to lie. I think he would have done a great job in this in this role. So that that one isn't as bad to me. But the, you know, seeing you know like Matthew Broderick's name's a little weird. Like you said, Jeff Bridges is strange. Matthew Broderick. That's what I'm seeing here. Oh. Uh, also, Mark Harmon uh, and Tom Selleck were each considered, is what mm. I'm reading here. Uh, Selleck, you can see, because 1990, you know. But uh, Mark Harmon, that seems a little... Uh, not not enough star power there. Yeah. Or, 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 yeah was Verhoeven then, a fan of Summer Vacation or whatever no, that movie's Summer called? School. Summer School, Summer right. School. And then he right. was in a movie called The Presidio with uh, Sean Connery, where he played a... He was a, I think he was a cop for the military, either the Marines or the Army, which kind of, it's a weird foreshadowing to his lucrative and long-standing role on NCIS, which is... <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I didn't see either of those names. That, Ma- Matthew Broderick would have been completely insane. That I, yeah. You know, nothing against that guy, but 
you know, you you see the final result with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like how, you know, any time you put him in a movie, it's like you have to change kind of the approach to it because he doesn't look like a normal guy. So, and they kind of knew that going into this. That's why they made him a construction worker, even though, you know, most construction workers don't look like that. But at least, he, you know, and- it makes a lot more sense than him being like a random office drone or something like that. And you gotta love how all these movies ignore his accent. <laughs> well, like, you know, it's so funny. One of one of my friends was talking about how um, in the in the Schwarzenegger movies, he has these just very bland Anglo-Saxon kind of names. And but in <laughs> this movie, you have to realize that the, the, his character's real name was Carl Hauser. So, at least. You know, in that case, the the whole trend doesn't really track, but you know, in some cases, it does. In a lot of the, in a lot of the movies, you don't even really know his name. Like in uh, Predator, they, he just went by Dutch. So right. It's like, and then you have to look at the credits to see that his name was Alan Schaefer, which I you know <laughs> is Germanic. But you know, if they're calling him Dutch, it's like that's confusing. Should he be from Holland or something? But uh... isn't that weird? <laughs> you want to? Smoking a pancake? No. Piping a crepe? No. Cigar and a waffle? No. Bong and a blintz? No. Then there's no pleasing you. <laughs> Another gold member reference from the man who hates the movie. <laughs> gentlemen. We're I, we need to we need to get a, a running tally on that. I think we're up, <laughs> I think we're up to a cool half dozen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Movie <laughs> stinks. Man. All right, so so Mike, let's let let's just get into the element of what what puts what you have seen so many movies, mm. you love so many movies. Yeah. What puts Total Recall in on Mount Rushmore or in the top five, whatever you want to call it for you? What is it? Well, it has to be like I was thinking about this because I, I knew this was something I had a feeling you would ask me about, and um, well, you know I love RoboCop. Like I just yes, and a lot of those same sensibilities are here because it's the same director. He brought a lot of the same people back. It's that same kind of hyper violence, and not only that, but the movie has a really, you know, if, if anybody's seen it, it, like it, it has this crazy plot where you're questioning what's real and if if the whole movie's fake and. Or when did it start start being fake? And we could talk about that a little, like at the end. That was like one of the big questions I had: if you thought that the movie was a dream or not. But um, I mean, it was all that stuff. I mean, because I, I think part of the reason that you're not so high on this movie is because you've said before on this on this pro on this very program that you are not a science fiction guy, and you that don't, is true. And this is an excellent science fiction movie. And not only is it an excellent science fiction movie, it's an excellent action movie. And just some of the visuals and all that stuff, that all comes secondary, I guess. But I, I guess it's just because it's just a kick-ass action movie, but then it has this kind of weird multi-layered aspect to it that you just wouldn't expect from a Schwarzenegger movie, perhaps, or the action movies of the time. Um, I think maybe, boy, well, the first time I saw this movie, I had to have been like 10 or 11 years old. I think I just saw, thought the violence was so, so, so good. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's. Uh, I'll say this. I remember, for some reason, I know I didn't see it at the time. I remember seeing 
promotions for this movie and the whole like hand orb thing uh, and i remember i remember that vividly and i remember thinking like this looks like something i've never seen before i remember thinking that as an eight-year-old or oh whatever. wow um because you know they they would do like i feel like movies were advertised more on tv back in the day than they are now um and, and maybe that's just maybe i just don't watch enough <laughs> tv i don't know what it is but i remember seeing commercials for this movie and uh, just very, very vividly remembering the hand device and all that al- uh, aspect of it, and knowing who Arnold was um, and stuff like that. Because I did, I do think I mu- I must have seen like Twins or s- in a couple of the other movies by that age. But I remember thinking like this looks like weird, like this looks like something I've never seen before. And I was you know only eight at the time, so what I probably haven't seen a lot, but I remember it standing out a little bit to me. And then I had you know I see it years later, like I say, maybe probably at a sleepover or something on VHS. But it definitely had, I think it had that type of impact because it it certainly is a one of a kind type of movie, very unique movie, and they took a lot of risks uh, with how they did some of the, the special effects and stuff like that. A lot of it, granted, is very dated now, mm-hmm. uh, which sometimes gets a little chuckle out of me. Uh, like the the fake Arnold face inside the woman's face. Yeah, thing. yeah. You know that stuff. The eyes bulging out, like, and then they're okay after that. <laughs> like, you know yeah. that that sort of stuff. And you know, wh- why not have a uh, protected glass in the restaurant? And you could go down all that stuff. But it, I'll, I'll say this: it, it, it's a it was a fun rewatch for sure. I really uh, had a good time watching it. I love seeing Arnold in his element, and this is I would consider Arnold in his prime still, sort of thing. Um, it's certainly not one of my favorites by any stretch, but it's still a very, it's still an entertaining movie. And I'll say the most credit I'll give to it is it's uh, it's one of a kind. It's very unique, a very interesting, clever story. Um, and I know it's uh, adapted, um, right? So, but uh, very loosely, very, <laughs> yeah. But 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 executed in, in a way that I think um, has a certain level of rewatchability that you enjoy because you get to see Arnold beat beat some ass, but it's also a little more cerebral than what we're used to seeing him in. Yeah, and not only that, but Roger Ebert, um, I I didn't uh, scope this out myself, but you know, it's easy to crack on Schwarzenegger for having like a limited range, and some people just say he's a bad actor. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he just has an accent, so sometimes. Maybe maybe his lines aren't delivered the same way, but in this movie, he definitely puts over that he's confused and he's vulnerable. And he act like one of the things that he liked about the movie was kind of that that contrast that he's this giant, you know, he he knows what he is. He knows he's like a, a, an absolute marble statue of a man, but something to make him vulnerable, which is that his mind was stolen and he's kind of in this, I dare I say, Hitchcockian thing where he doesn't know who he is and there's people after him and you know all the all the paranoia yeah. that comes with that um, yeah and it, yeah, it's, that's a good point it, it's really cool it, it's really cool that you had that memory of the trailers because i don't really remember the trailers that well at all and that was one of the things that schwarzenegger had to change because he's he thought that the trailers were no good he thought they really misrepresented the movie and then he had the trailers change and then he convinced the producers who we also convinced to option the script that they needed to spend more money. This was like three weeks before the movie was supposed to come out. Um, he convinced them they had to spend more money because only they, they it was like less than 50% of people were aware of the movie that were tested. And Arnold said, that's a disaster. 
So they had to pump more money into marketing, and that's probably where some of the budget for this went. That was, you know, astronomically high at the time, estimated between fifty and sixty million, but who really knows? Um, with with all that stuff, but uh, yeah. yeah, like that. Just the, the, that's really cool though, because that was another place you could see. Like I just did not realize that Arnold's hands were so deep in this movie. With so love it or hate it, I mean that's. You know, it was, it's kind of the singular creative vision almost of not not singular, but I mean, he drove so much of what made this movie what it is. And also, you know, a lot of movie fans who are big fans of special effects and the evolution of special effects, um, I think many would say like their year zero where it's, you know, before this or after this is Terminator 2 which came out in 91. Mm-hmm. And this is like the last big movie that came out before that. And you see their uh, reliance on um, uh, uh, physical, practical effects, but also stop motion stuff and clay and, uh, and all that. And you have to respect that because, granted, the you know Abyss came out before this, I think. Mm-hmm. But that was just that you were either Cameron or you were not, and you know even Lucas wasn't too t- tapped in at that point. You know this is you, you got to kind of give it the nod here that you know they're still in a very practical world back then, and they wanted to do things on screen. That the only way they could do a lot of this, especially with the budget they had, was using the, the effects that they had. So I I will fully admit while I was watching it and seeing some of the stuff being like oh man that looks like you know Wallace and Gromit or like Gumby or, or <laughs> like some some shit I I understand you have to compartmentalize and understand that was 31 years ago it was before James Cameron blew the doors open before even George Lucas took it at another level after seeing what they were able to do with Jurassic Park and there's an evolution to this stuff so you got to respect that that sort of thing because there are a lot of great movies that were made a long long time ago that didn't always have you know what shit movies today have access to you know what I'm saying so yeah uh, yeah yeah and like with the um, like where he's pulling the bug out of his head like that kind you know <laughs> yeah. it's like that I, I didn't let that stuff get to me though. Like I don't I don't know why like I could look past that, but I couldn't look past kids being kids in Jurassic Park. But you know that's just you know there's what no account you... there's no accounting yeah. for taste. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just hate kids. Let's just get let's just I remember. I hate that. kids. I mean that's strong, but you know I don't want to. Who, who wants to go on record and say they hate kids? You sound like you're just trying too hard at that point. It's like saying you hate yeah. puppies. Like, fuck. <laughs> it's like, oh, we get it, dude. You're really edgy. Like, you're really dark. And I, I'm hard, man. I'm, I'm a fucking hard case. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom warned you about people like me. Um, No. I Like, I still thought some of the visuals were extremely cool in this movie. Like, the... Like where he's taking the elevator to the top of the pyramid mines, and then when it when it when it comes up, and you can see kind of like the surface or whatever through the dome. I mean, that's a great point that those domes that protect everybody's lives should not be made out of like reg. It looked like they were made out of regular glass, which yeah, you know that yeah. that's even like a plot device where they can't shoot at him because the dome would crack. Right. And, right. Uh, that was after that's true. he divorced his wife. Um, yeah, in that in that particular scene, but uh, 
Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed, though, was that it's, you know, I know Mars is the red planet and stuff, but it was like, they made it really fucking red. Like, I think of Mars as being more like an orange, like, more on that side of it, but it still looks red. I mean, it was like red, red. I thought it was like kind of a interesting, you know, symbolism. Like, they, the, like the red was a big theme like it was the, it was the backdrop for the opening credits and they would have scenes with where they they would i thought it was really cool like in the uh blink and you'll miss it but on mars they have the miller light logo but it was red because it was on yeah mars. And it was like yeah, it's like they they kept using red as like this theme because of you know the, the of mars but also because there was so much goddamn blood in the movie like they actually made fun of it in hot shots part do like the part where he's shooting everybody at the end it's like they were making fun of the because <laughs> the, the body, yeah, the body count was so high in yeah. this movie, and you know a lot of the violence had to be cut. That's what got it that X rating I was talking about before. Um, and you see it with that scene where Richter, who we haven't talked about yet, but um, Michael Ironside's character shoots that rat, and it just the blood flies on the. The gore flies on the and then and then it it, it fades into the red Martian sky, with and and the recordings are going bloop, bloop, get your ass to Mars bloop, bloop, get your ass to Mars. <laughs> and they actually did that because they actually ran out of money. They wanted to have a scene where he was on the shuttle and like trying to navigate a few things, and it shows the shuttle landing on Mars. But again, you know, practicality won out. They couldn't they couldn't do that, so they decided to have this real quick transition. Which I think doesn't really make the movie suffer at all, but uh, no, I don't think any of that. Sometimes I think that stuff actually benefits movies because sometimes the, I think there's a tendency to overthink or just say because we have the capability, we're going to do it. Um, and I think sometimes that can actually wind up hurting a director if you have too much access to things or too many resources. Um, but I, I think maybe this is just a guess. You know, may, maybe they went a little hard with the red to mm. sort of really like put the audience there and the stark differences between earth and Mars and, and make it more that, that more of a dramatic, you know, visual difference and, and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. so that everything even inside seems like here's the safe zone. And then you look out beyond the glass and it's just like this, just, just blank horizon of, of utter dust and, and nothingness. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, it, and, and I don't know, I guess, I guess it maybe works because it kind of felt like whatever I got to do, I got to stay in here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, they probably didn't want to make it look any like pleasant at all or earthy at all. I don't know. That's just a guess, but yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, when you when you look at all the all the all the stuff they did to, to juxtapose to kind of contrast Earth and Mars, and then you have, you know, you have your main character and you have his wife and then you know i brought up richter we got to get to the villains of this just a little bit um oh yeah yeah kurt wood smith turned down this part which you know now i'm just picturing a world where red foreman would have played both clarence bodiger and richter and and uh, and it would have it would have added to the red theme (laughs) i'm here all night (laughs) try the veal fuckers well, probably for another hour. Or something, sure. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, well, we're gonna do like a three-hour. No, um, and then Robert Davi also turned down this part for people who he is. He was Special Agent Johnson in Die Hard. No, yeah. the other one. He was also, <laughs> he was also in Showgirls. If anybody saw about that. the U.S. fucking government. 
Uh, let's do Die Hard again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not a bad idea. Not, not a bad idea. But yeah, you, you know, you know who creeps me out in this movie, Mike, and it doesn't matter where I've seen this guy. The only other place I've seen him was an episode of Seinfeld. Is Roy Brocksmith. Something about that man's face and his voice. He played Dr. Edgemar. Oh, I did not know he, his name. Yeah. I look, I had to look it up. Um, I, yeah, I just looked it up. But he, like something about his voice is very grating on my ears. And his face is very like, I want to just punch him so he stops talking kind of guy. And he was that way in, in Seinfeld. Like even like Kramer wanted to beat him up. And he just plays those types of roles. But I'll never forget. That's one of the scenes that always stood out to me in this movie is when uh, this guy dies is because of the, the beat of sweat. Mm-hmm. Do you remember like that? Something about that scene. Uh, oh, 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 I don't know why it stood out to me, but because it was like one of those, like, oh, he, he knows it's really happening because he can see like the guy sweating and that it's dripping down his face or whatever. But something about that guy, Mike, I don't know if you agree. I've never really brought him up because nobody knows who he is. <laughs> he like really bothers me. Yeah, I th- well, uh, that probably had something to do with the way why he was cast because in this one thing I noticed when I was rewatching this for you know I don't know how many times I've seen like I saw this movie six months ago before I watched it this time and um, it something that I didn't really notice all the times I watched it was that Paul Verhoeven made a very concerted effort to make the the movie as ambiguous as possible like even at the beginning of the movie before he even goes to recall there's you know his his co-worker harry is giving weird looks to the camera like Lori's giving these weird looks to the camera like there's all this all this stuff to make it seem like it's just this just this bizarre kind of thing going on like there's this weird vibe even though they we just started watching this movie and i think for that character, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but for that character, like he, the thing that would have been most important for him, if if that was in fact a skit, a schizoid embolism or like an extended delusion, is that that guy has to be trustworthy, and he has to be, you know, likable, and he was neither of those things. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's crazy. Like you would think they would get something, someone more charismatic. Like you think like someone like Rob Lowe would show up or something mm-hmm. like being or uh, you know another likable figure. But like that whole part where he's like, take the pill and put it in your mouth uh, and swallow it. Be like, yeah. dude, I don't even care what's happening. I'm shooting you anyway. Yeah, the the red pill. I mean, do you think that was a coincidence or do you think the Matrix you kind of? That's a really good question that I didn't even think about. Just rip that. Like, oh, this this is a token of your symbol to want to accept reality. That's a good pill. that's a that's a good question, man. And nine years later, though it feels like the Matrix was a lot of years later after this. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Good question, man. I, I wonder if there's some sort of interview with the Wachowskis where they admit something like that, but I, I feel like they're very internal with their their movie making that they would never even admit if they did it but it's like you say it's so like coincidental yeah i don't know interesting it was one of those things like i actually you know i i I don't like to take credit for things when i don't notice them like i said the thing the thing about uh schwarzenegger's role uh portrayal in this movie that came from roger ebert that wasn't my own observation but i did know i was like red pill is that where the matrix got it dude that's a that's a good call out man i don't know let's we'll do some digging on that and find out well it it did show up later in the like when i was reading up for this but 
I was like, it was just something I, I like. I put it down in my notes when I was writing down stuff about, you know, how the just some of the stuff in the movie that struck me funny, like how they took kind of the home fitness craze of the late '80s and they made it so that's what Sharon Stone was doing when he came home. Like, except they they dressed it up, like she was like doing a holographic tennis lesson because like it seemed like a lot of housewives and stuff were doing, like sweating to the oldies and like I don't know other videotaped aerobics routines and that, that it was so it's kind of like they took the sensibilities of the time and they tried to modernize it like my mom of, had those videos like everything everything involved some giant fucking ball you had to hold this ball and do shit <laughs> like i remember i, I forget uh, I, her name was like austin something it was like this woman very attractive woman who did all these videos that my mom had and i was like mm-hmm. you know i was like seven or eight i'm like who is she? You know, that was before I that before the nanny came out. Yeah, you know what I'm saying so. Forget about it. Yeah, we, we'll have to see um, how modern day Sharon Stone stacks up to modern day Fran Drescher for you. That, well, that'll that, be a, Denise Austin. That was her name. Denise Austin. Look, son of a gun. Hmm. <laughs> Six, Sixty-four years old. Still looks good. Good for her. Uh, yeah, you're right. Sharon Stone versus Fran Drescher. That is a babe off. We'll have to check that out. <laughs> Yeah, it has to, it has to, to be today though. That's what I'm. Yeah. I'm not interested in peak, peak Sharon Stone versus peak Fran Drescher. Oh, it's no contest. Well, for you, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this: Sharon Stone. I mean, I feel like she had the right amount of mist on her this entire movie. Oh, everybody did. Everybody yeah. had like just the right amount of. Oh, I'm supposed to look slightly damp in this scene. Like, do you think there was a mist guy on set who just had to go up and like with the Windex thing and go constantly? That that couldn't have been a bad job to have in 1989, though. I'm I'm the guy who spritzes Sharon Stone's like cleavage with with a water bottle, a spray bottle. Well, he did a great job. Whoever did it, he did, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he did, man. Oh man. Uh, um, so in terms of uh, the other villains, let's get cooking here. We well, have our boy who we love, Michael Ironside. Yeah. Yeah, we, we uh, he, he was great in this movie. And oh, was, he's great in everything, right? Yeah. He's, he's not bad. And uh, yeah. I, it's funny because I thought he was a bigger guy. But I, like, when you look at him next to Schwarzenegger, like, I thought he just looked small next to Schwarzenegger, but he's listed as 5'9", and you know he obviously is a bigger dude, but he's not like like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I just thought the character's motivation was kind of funny because it was like he, it seemed like he just didn't like, there was just something so personal and it probably just came from the fact that his wife had to be embedded with this guy and like pretend, like, and like sleep with him and all that stuff. And Fucking it kind cucked. of like, what was that? Fucking cucked. <laughs> well, they were both like, they're both spies. You know, they both yeah. know the, the deal. Like, that's, yeah. that's what you got. That's that's such an, like, that just sex is such an important part of spycraft. It's just ridiculous. Like, you can't undersell the ask, like, what people will say, especially men, if, you know, during pillow talk. It's just, it's like so much, like, I'm sure nations have fallen based on that shit. Because that's, that's kind of part of the movie <laughs> that, it, you know, it kind of got lost. They were trying. That's something I could definitely see that that the writing kind of muddled, probably with so many different versions of the script. And then uh, Schwarzenegger brought in this third third writer 
to add to the script. I, I don't know how these two guys, uh, O'Bannon and uh, Shusett, I think they the reason they were so important to the process was because they actually owned the property. Because I've never heard of writers being so obtrusive to the production of a film. Because Cronenberg basically left the, left the production because he got into all these arguments with one of the authors about... Because one of the authors said he wanted to make it like Raiders of the Lost Ark on Mars. And Cronenberg wanted to stay truer to the source material, the, the short story that this was adapted from. And he said that it got to the point where that the writer, I think it was uh, O'Bannon, was... I don't, I don't remember which one it was, but he was like contradicting his own ideas because he just, he kept going around and around creatively and he couldn't get to something, you know, he couldn't get to like just a straight line from A to B. It was like he just kept, you know, contradicting himself about what he wanted to do. And then that, and then uh, Verhoeven had a falling out with the other, uh, the other writer because oh god the other writer wanted there to be more satirical elements to it like there was already some pretty funny satire in this movie like when at the beginning where he's watching the telecast and they're talking about how the the martian rebellion was put down with minimal violence and they're showing people like getting beat up and like held against a wall and executed and then like you could hear the guards in the back, like swearing at people and hitting them <laughs> um but yeah. Verhoeven changed that aspect because of schwarzenegger's involvement he said it would play it wouldn't play as much to his strengths and I guess, um, and th this same writer also took took it personally that they had the ending that they did. They, hmm. His idea for the ending was so convoluted. It was one of those things. I've done this a couple times on the show, and I apologize. But it was one of those things, like, I read it, like, five times, and I don't get it. He did this interview in 1991 with his magazine, how he talked about his vision for the ending of the movie. And it was so confusing. I was like, man, I'm so glad they did not go in that direction. It, it was something to do with the the Martian reactor killing the Quaid character, who was this you know top secret agent, and making a synthetic version of him that was like the embodiment of Martian culture. And mm. yeah, and then when he comes back to Mar and he's he's also nearly omnipotent. That's why he can't be killed because he can like he can kind of see the future, and that's what makes him kind of like an action movie character. And then he finds his way back to this reactor to turn it on. And that's when he has total recall. And he remembers um, what went into making him and who he truly is. And it's like, you know, this movie's already... if it, it, There's already, like, confusion and, and ambiguity to this movie. I mean, can you imagine adding that kind of dimension to the ending? Where the uh, it would, yeah, it would take away the whole, you know, like human victory story or whatever you know if it was just some so he was some sort of fabrication or or whatever you want to call it what so what was he like an android in that version or something it was or like a synthetic human that's what they said and it was like a synthetic copy of this top secret agent and it was like why would he have to go through all of that to get mm. back to turn why wouldn't you just let him turn the machine on if you if that's what you wanted or what these aliens wanted or whatever. I don't know. It it was just it was just fucking stupid. Like for whatever you want to say about the ending <laughs> so, cuz some people say it's like kind of hokey that they made an atmosphere and it the atmosphere came down 
in time to save the hero, and which is very cinematic to save the hero. Like you know, a, an atmosphere forms in under a minute, so it saves our hero and his love interest, but not oh, the yes, evil right. dictator guy played by the you yeah. know always welcome Ronnie Cox as mm. Cohagen, who was you know I don't know what it, we we kind of got off track a little bit because we were talking about Richter, and then we jumped from this to that, this to that, and then ended up. But like I just had to say that thing about the original ending because people who. People who are listening to this and who have seen Total Recall and think, oh, that ending's kind of weird. Imagine that goddamn ending. It would have been horrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't, but anyway. And there, yeah, we, we've talked about a lot of alternate endings that, that we're glad they didn't choose. Um, but in terms of, you know, my brief takes on the villains, you know, so, something about Michael Ironside, I think he has made a career out of sounding like a tough guy like he has one of those cool right. tough guy voices yeah and i think that's taken him a long way because he's a pretty regular looking joe schmo and he looks he's always looked older than his age like he was 39 like around our age when he filmed this he looked he that guy's always looked like a 50 year old man <laughs> well uh yeah and, and then just like his voice also his voice something about his voice he does have that like cool tough guy voice yeah, he, he I think he voices Dark Side in some of the animated DC movies. Like he has that that kind of voice. But yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. unfortunately, when you don't have your natural when you don't have your hair, that ages you up a bit. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, not, I'm trying to be mean. I mean, that's just the way it is. Like you don't have your hair, people are going to think you look older. Um, yeah, I guess so. So it's probably a, a big aspect of it. But yeah, dude, uh, the Cohagen character in this movie, I was just trying to think about like how when we were doing the Robocop version, you know, you got the, that connection where Roddy Cox played Dick Jones and he was basically the villain in that. And it was yeah. like how that was a big step for him because he had never like that. That was a big. But it's like he is right at home in these roles. You know, like <laughs> oh, without a doubt, that that that, that corporate bigwig asshole. Because you got to think about like how big of a scumbag would you have to be if there was a Martian <laughs> colony? Like how connected and how powerful would you have to be <laughs> to get the job where you're in charge of that? Yeah, because I mean yeah. that was the point I was trying to make before I kind of cut myself off, as I tend to do sometimes. It, it like I think <laughs> that was something that really got lost with with this with the Martian colony, and there was like the the earth government running it but they're trying to suppress the locals um to get this at this resource they need and it's like they mention it but they don't i think i think i don't know if it would have been a mistake to put more emphasis on it but it was like it was one of those things you kind of had to just be like oh okay it's like this guy is super evil because he as long as he just keeps producing this well as avatar called it unobtainium but just whatever you know, whatever the whatever the stand-in MacGuffin is for oil, uh, <laughs> as long as that's being produced, this guy could do whatever he wanted. And yeah. I, I, but like I was, I was confused because it seemed like he actually thought that if they turned that reactor on, it wasn't that he was going to lose because if if there was if there was an atmosphere, he couldn't control everybody with by controlling the air. But if, right, right. But if he act even at the very end of the movie he's saying he, that they would all die if he turned it on so for that reason alone i think that cohagen's kind of a misunderstood villain yeah granted he chewed some scenery and he you know had some great seeds and stuff like especially that oh that part i mean especially if you're a woman that part where he's just like 
he's that's so vile where he's talking about how he's like gonna reprogram Melina so she's like Hauser's babe and he's gonna get to fuck her every night. It's like oh, oh yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, dude. What the fuck, man? You're gonna be Hauser's babe. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah. It's like he's living vicariously through that. Like, that's just very fucking creepy and weird. And, um, yeah, he, uh, he definitely. Uh, I don't, I don't know if it's like a, a typecast thing, but those are the two roles that stand out. And I guess he was in, you know, um, played a cop in Beverly Hills. Yeah, cop he was Bogomil. He was like the yeah. friendly. He wasn't the stupid chief. He was like the friendly, like helpful, like supervisor, like the good cop. But he just happened to right. be in charge. Yeah, right. And I guess uh, he has made his debut in Deliverance. Believe it or not, part of oh, the dueling yeah. banjos. Yeah, I, I saw Deliverance. I was trying to put that out of my mind. I have not seen that. Just I've heard horror stories about it, dude. But, I, I remember renting that at Blockbuster with my brother, and we just met. We we were in line behind this guy with his kid, and we didn't actually say anything about the the you know the man on man rape or anything like that. We we actually just said, "Oh, I can't believe we're renting Deliverance," and this guy turned to us and goes, "Hey, do you mind? There's a kid here," and we were like, "Does the kid know what Deliverance is?" <laughs> <laughs> On the way home, he explains it to his son. Yeah, yeah, he, he's like, he, yeah. So then, so then he's totally fucking this guy, <laughs> and just really giving it to him, son. It's like, Dad, can we get ice cream? <laughs> no, I'm telling you the whole plot of Deliverance. <laughs> I'm telling you the only part of Deliverance that people remember. <laughs> Ned Beatty is a legend. <laughs> they make him squeal like a pig. It's very dehumanizing. Dad, should I have a car seat? On? <laughs> no, seatbelts are fine. We didn't even have seatbelts when we were your age. Shut up. I don't know. It's just so funny how a random asshole like that you run into when you're a teenager and you still remember him. Because it was like, it would have been like, I don't know. But No, that guy was sent to the video store by his wife and he's pissed off about it. (laughs) So he took it out on you and your fucking brother for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, he's passing the... It's passing the buck of being pissed off onto somebody else. He probably had to pick up tampons on the way home too. Like just to... yeah. Really complete his subjugation. Who are, we, who, who are we kidding? No one's married to that scumbag. That guy was a divorced father. Whoever his wife was left his stupid ass. And watch, watch he like he he like for some reason is one of our listeners, and he's like, I remember that fucking kid. He ruined my life by talking about deliverance. Nah, nah. Hopefully that guy's dead by now. Uh- <laughs> you know who's not dead? Ronnie Cox, eighty-three. Good for him, man. Good for Still him. Still ro- rocking and rolling, man. Just, just on him playing Dick Jones and Velos Cohagen, the Chancellor of Mars. <laughs> That's one of the things that always cracks me up about these movies. Is like, is that man, what his title was, Chancellor? Yeah, chan- yeah, yeah. That according to IMDb, anyway. But uh, the when they have these movies on other planets, they do it on the Expanse too. Like if anybody watches that show, like people. There's no national identities. It's just people talk about the planets they're from. And in this yeah. in this case, it kind of makes sense because there seems to just be the one federal colony. And that's, like, where everyone lives because, you know, you can't live out in the elements on Mars. But, no. like, but like, my one friend was telling me that it always cracks, cracks him up when they talk about being Mars intelligence. <laughs> like, it'd be like saying, oh, I, I, work, I work for <laughs> Earth intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, true, true. Yeah, no, no nations yet or anything. It's just a, it's just 
planet. That's it. Right, but I, but even on like the Expanse, like if you watch that show, they they, they they just talk about being from the belt, which is like just this group of asteroids in between Saturn and Jupiter. I think I'd have to rewatch it again. But it's like people just talk about how they're from there. They don't talk about. You know, then you think about how provincial and tribal people are, like, just talking about the cities they're from. Like, in, yeah. But anyway. True. Know. True. Really oh, dude. I, I'll admit I just looked this up. This movie won the v, uh, VFX Oscar. Did. So, so how about that? I don't, think, I don't think it won anything else or even got nominated for anything else. But, I, like, to me, this, this isn't that kind of movie. I mean, it's not... I don't know. Like, it, it, like it, was, it, was, a, it was a spectacle, and spectacles don't always, as we were talking about <laughs> when we were discussing the piano, <laughs> like the, the piano. Yeah, spectacles don't always get the same respect as these tiny, you know, introspective, very subtle movies about that are just character-driven drama. But um, yeah. yeah, like one one of my favorite things about the Kohagen part was how because this movie to me is and we'll get to the we'll get to that real soon but to me like the the whole dream versus reality thing but to me this movie if you look at it is just a, it's just kind of a meta commentary about the the action movies of the time like you have this indestructible uh a hero and you have his love interest who always comes in just at the nick of time to help him and uh, like you have these these villains who are kind of like they're almost too like debased to be real. But one of my favorite moments was the part where you know Cohagen, you know they they um, everything comes apart and then Cohagen captures them, but he's about to reprogram them, and then he uh, he does the whole like I'm monologuing thing, like I'm doing the villain monologue, and then Schwarzenegger goes. No, too perfect. It was perfect my ass. And then he talk, he's like, he's like, you pop your memory cap before we can activate you. Richter here goes hog wild fucking up everything I spent a year planning. Frankly, I'm amazed it worked. <laughs> <I was just laughs> like, so if, if that was like, that was like one of those things like, okay, they took that really classic trope and kind of turned it on its head. That was really cool. I mean, I guess, yeah. if, I guess if that was more of the satirical element they were looking for, um, yeah, maybe more of that would have been welcome. Yeah. Maybe not. I mean that that one scene just always cracks me up, though. Where, <laughs> you know, he... I uh, I agree. That is, I I do kind of like when something uh, doesn't take itself too seriously, you know. But I I'd have to say the scene that feels like it's in its own bubble in this movie and like stands out from the rest of the aesthetic is the whole mine section with all the mutants and and the talking stomach alien thing and you know all, all that and, and i actually thought that was really cool because it reminded me of like you know those like 1980s like you know jim henson typed movie type movies mm-hmm. like you know labyrinth or whatever uh you know th- those types of things that involve certain types of creatures and you feel like you are in this definite definitely a weird foreign place from from earth because a lot of the stuff in this movie in terms of where they are you're like yeah i could see that being just somewhere on earth in the future and then you go down to these mines and you meet all these weird uh mutants as they called them uh, or whatever and you're like wow this is now i feel like they're in the underbelly of somewhere that we've certainly never been and uh even though it 
It is has its hokey elements because of how they had to do the VFX. It was honored at the time, won an Oscar. Um, it felt like that was certainly a part of this movie that was. I don't know if it was a tangent uh, or whatever to for for any particular reason or whatever. But I uh, I feel in my rewatch that standing out as something that felt like a sort of um, adjacent to everything else that was going on in the movie and it, on a very literal level too because they went like underground and you know all that yeah because like th- there was such a slick aesthetic to this movie even when they were on earth that's um, a great way to put it yeah. yeah you did it way better than i did in, ma- in way less words yeah so thank you <laughs> well one of the mistakes they were trying to avoid in this movie that i thought was really interesting was that they were trying to learn from the lessons of blade runner you know blade runner was set not that far in the future from when it was made 2019 to 1982 and they had all these advanced technologies and in this one they set it a lot further in the future and they had you know they they had the 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 technology to get people to mars and to colonize it but then you look at life on earth and it's really not that different um and or or you can't make these at least it won't be as easy to disprove (laughs) you know yeah um, right you know we don't we don't have flying cars you know, that's that's the big one everybody always says. Where are the flying cars? It's like, do you know what fucking assholes the average drivers are? You want to give them a plane that's probably <laughs> that's probably fueled by a hydrogen fuel cell? Like, you really want to <laughs> give that to fuckers who can't even, like, not drive into the back of each other on a highway during the morning rush hour? <laughs> Fuck that, man. I hope they never invent flying cars in my lifetime. Last thing I need is one of those fucking things falling out of the sky and like landing in my, like crashing and Dude. blowing up my fucking apartment building. Dude, I, I'm with you. I'm even more archaic where I don't even know if I am fully down with the, the no drive, like the auto drive cars, you know, like, are we all going to be just trusting machines? Like, and I know humans make more errors than I guess the, mach- the machines would, but like I don't know, I don't know. Some, I I like to be in control of what's going on at least. Uh, that might, if I'm gonna that might be a, a telephone really, pole, I, I want me to be the one who does it. That might be a really interesting like burgeoning aspect of the law. Like if they get uh, automated cars on the road, it's like and then an automated car like kills a family of four. Like who's liable? Tesla. Yeah. Like yeah, you you just get absolutely shit house at the bar and hop in your fucking auto drive car and you're like <laughs> I got home now and you start reading. <laughs> You start reading a fucking book, and you just wipe out a whole family. You're like, it was Hyundai's fault. I don't know. They said this thing drove itself. What do you want me to f- blame Korea? I don't know. Oh, the fuck, man? I just got in and hit the button and said, take me home. Yeah, or like, an fuck- o- like an automated 18-wheeler like r- like wrecks and just destroys like a whole trailer full of merchandise. Yeah. Like, who's, who's responsible? Whoever made the automation system, the manufacturer of the truck... The truck driver himself, because he was supposed to be... Because I think the, the thing with, with uh, uh, like autonomous cars is that at least the bridge is supposed to be that people are supposed to be supervising it. But you know well, people heard... aren't going to. Right. Like, well, I, I have heard, though, if that happens, the driver of the, of the truck, of the 18-wheeler, will have to compete in arm wrestling tournaments to win back the custody of his son. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> was that was that too over the top? I'm bad at this. Holy shit! <laughs> it's like a switch when I turn my head around, man. Um, all right. So, uh, oh, uh, I will point this out though. Cueto is that how you pronounce it? Cuado. Cuado. 
That, the mutants that's... love him. They think he's fucking George Washington. Do you know what I know this guy as? Marshall Bell? The actor? Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. fucking SWAT commander from Airheads. The, yes. Yes, fucking Carl Mace from Airheads. That's the shorthand, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you know we've known each other for a while. Holy shit. That guy is so good in Airheads. It's, it's not... It's, we gotta do Airheads one day. It's, it's on the list. I know it's, it's just such a fucking such an underrated funny movie. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, that yeah. word "cuato" actually comes from the Spanish word "cuate," which means twin. So it's kind of like one of those uh, things where writers think they're being like, well, I guess they are, but they're they're just using foreign languages to hide important plot details, like a. Uh, so did, like did a, you see "cuates" with uh, Schwarzenegger and DeVito? <laughs> Not recently. I, I do remember Kelly Preston from that fucking movie, though. Madone, oh. R.I.P. Madone is correct. <laughs> Holy shit. Jeez. Oh. Monty. But, um, in any event, back to... <laughs> we, well, I mean, that, there's been some digressions on, on this program, but that was, that was, a, that was a real doozy. <laughs> That was fun, though. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. It always <laughs> is. But it's always a good time. Yeah. The, uh, you know, as I guess I just kind of want to get into this discussion because I've been putting it off. And it, well, it's like, I guess, first of all, I, I would just want to, like, I have three big questions. Is this the raddest Arnold movie? Reddest or raddest? <laughs> the most rad. <laughs> it's the most red, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely the most red. Good. Uh, good is one. it the raddest? No, of course no. not. What, what do you think the raddest Schwarzenegger movie is? It has to be T2, the fucking big dick swinging movie it is. You know I'm, what I'm saying? I'm going to have to say Commando, just on sheer radness. <sighs> Commando is really good. Um, <laughs> it's, not about think... it, it's not about if it's good or like, it, it's not about the quality. It's about if it's the raddest. So what, what what's your definition of rad? It's just the fucking, rad, or just like, another like word for like fucking. Commando's just so fucking over the top. He kills so many guys, and he's he not does. a robot. And just some of the do- like, it's just it's just so like just so over the top. I, I'd say Predator is like the silver medal for radness. I, T- I'm I'm still I'm still gonna go T two just because of it is oozing in early '90s awesomeness <laughs> um, from having like fucking Budnick from Salute Your Shorts. <laughs> mouthing off to cops and uh well not really cops but you know the guns and roses in the boom box and like you you just smell southern los angeles when you're watching <laughs> those scenes and uh you know just arnold just still being in his prime at uh, 43 44 years old it, and as you saw him try to come back in the later terminator movies he makes you appreciate that one more so i mean, i know we're going to talk about t2 also but uh you know we may have different how we view the word rad or whatever, but I, I won't disagree with commando, especially, you know, how, how that, some of those scenes like that, the whole mall scene is just insane. That's just pure. Like you're right in the heart of the Reagan administration. Fucking capitalism is just deliciously awesome. Yeah. And you have, you're in the middle of this packed mall and, and there's like all these, uh, not, the, not just a mall, a Galleria. Every right. every major city, even Cleveland, had a Galleria. I, I yeah. actually I saw it a couple months ago. Holy shit, is it depressing now? Yeah. Oh, really? That same place? Yeah. yeah. They basically like they rented out a couple spaces. Like, there's a big restaurant and bar there. There's like a like mm. a radio station had a 
And then oh. there's like this one convenience store that's like hanging on because it like serves. There's like a bunch of companies around there and they service it. But other than that, I mean, it's completely dead. Like it's yeah. It's just like this, our, our malls are all high, high uh, class type stores and no like fun stuff really anymore. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Radist, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I guess you could put Total Recall up there just because it's so fucking out there. Yeah, it's like, definitely his most out there movie, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rad does not mean best. It's a nebulous definition about if it's just if it's just Gonzo or not. But so, is this the best movie about Mars? Um, you know what? It might be. Because every time I see another movie about Mars, they they take themselves too seriously. Yeah, and like, they're usually very stuffy and uh, lack payoff. Like I saw The Martian with Matt Damon. I thought the movie sucked. Yeah, dude. I mean, as captivating as it is that you're you know growing tomatoes in your or potatoes in your own shit, like and wait, <laughs> exactly, it's just kind. of... I would say that's the best movie about Mars besides Total Recall. But that's yeah. more of an indictment about how bad the like yeah. that they had that Red Planet movie with Val Kilmer and then Mission to Mission Mars. Mission to Mars. And then they had yeah. Ghosts of Mars. I think Ice Cube was in that. Does Mars Attacks count? Did they actually go to Mars? They might have like briefly. And like show like the home base. Hmm. I don't know. Mars Attacks was pretty funny, but I don't think that of that a as a Martian movie. movie. I think of that more as like an Earth invasion movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Total Recall is the best Mars movie. Okay, I would, I, I don't, I, I just think that's just because the field. Like I, I like Total Recall. I like it a lot more than you. We've established that. We don't need to like dwell on that too much. But I think it's just that in this case, the field is so weak. It's not like we're talking about mafia movies from 1974 to 1990. It's like, that's a crowded field. Like, that's going to be tough to pick a best one. Most people are probably just going to pick the play the party line and just say it's Godfather 1. But, um... Yeah, I mean, I'm looking here and I... Like, you're right, man. Like, they're ghosts, the ghosts of Mars. Like, it's all shit. Yeah, and then there's, like, other movies where they, like, tangentially go to Mars, but it's, like, Mars yeah. isn't... Like, this this, this is, like, basically the first third of the movies on Earth, and then the rest of the movies on Mars. And, uh, you know, I, I thought this was interesting. The, the, the movie was filmed in Mexico City, um, because I guess the, the architecture and the subway system all looked a little more futuristic than than the than the kind of contemporary designs in the U.S. that people will be used to seeing. That's most of the audience. But the movie was actually like, do you know where the movie was supposed to be set? Just the Earth part. No, El Paso, Texas. Oh. Hmm. They they said if you look, I didn't catch this, but it's like there's an air. They give the El Paso the old El Paso area code, and then one of the IDs that he has that he gets in that suitcase. The Brubaker ID is in El Paso. Oh wow! Yeah, so like I just thought that that it's like wow, that's that's a real shorthand for showing how the price of uh, or just the how much society's progressed. If that's what West Texas looks like, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, and then of course the last big question that I think is most germane to this discussion is like is you know we I already kind of laid out how the movie's intentionally shot to be very ambiguous. Do do you think that the movie was real? 
in the confines of its cinematic universe that is created. Do you think do you think the events that happened were real? No. You don't think they're real? Why not? Um if I understand your question correctly, I think it and perhaps they did this on purpose, but maybe undermined the violence that probably is uh the surface and atmosphere of or lack thereof of mars and like there's probably a lot of like high winds and shit flying around that that glass would just never even be an option for them you know that sort of stuff hmm. uh and, and 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 i think that is more of like you can't look at a movie like this with that eye because it's fantastical it's sci-fi so i I I don't I turn that part of my mind off when I watch this stuff. So I, I feel like almost the question is setting the question I feel like is setting the movie up for failure in my opinion. Interesting. Now, well, I guess that's one way. I mean, like that's kind of a central thing in the movie though is like are his memories real? Like when did like when did that's what I'm talking about. It's like Oh, 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 re-ask the question. Okay. Re- reword it. Reword it. Re- okay, cuz apparently I failed to communicate effectively. So is do you think that the ego trip that he went on do you think that it was that everything that happened in the movie was like in a delusion or do you think it really happened in the oh movie? no yeah yeah i think it's i think it's yes and i i misunderstood your question okay i thought you meant did it, like plausibility for oh. 2084 oh no fuck, uh, fuck all that dude no my apologies <laughs> my apologies my, my fault too uh, um yeah i i think i think that that was at least maybe their intent that um because then you're layering it too much where it's like no like where it's inception a little bit where you you finish watching the movie and you're like i think i liked it but i don't understand what happened uh i think it was sort of like we gave you what wasn't real and this is you know uh, when you're not in the matrix anymore sort of thing. So I think that what we did see was real. And the proof of that was seeing the recording of Hauser talking about how he wanted to get his body back and, you know, get his, you know, uh, his mind back into his body and all that stuff. So that's my take on it. Right. I don't know about you. But what if that was part of the delusion? Cause that's what he said. He was making it up. It was a free form delusion. He was making it up as he went. So you're saying like, then maybe there'd be an ending where, he wakes up and he's in the chair and he goes back home to his wife or whatever. Well, maybe, but I mean, I'm just trying mm. to see, I just try to see what you think because in this movie does like, you know, they, they make it so ambiguous throughout. Like I said before that, that was the intent the whole time. It was to make you think about it. But to me, they do so much to telegraph that it's all a dream. Not all a dream, because Verhoeven has said on record that the first twenty minutes of the movie are real. That's his. Okay. That's, that's real until. All right. We... Well, let, lay it on me, because uh, let me just say this, and then you. I want your full take on what's real and what isn't yeah. in terms of you know his the character and his what his experience. But I usually sometimes there, there's exceptions. I usually don't like those movies where. I watched the whole thing, and then at the end, somebody wakes up, and it was all a dream. Yeah. Or, I, I, you know, even Wizard of Oz, I'm just like, fuck that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just, it, or like a recent version is like a click, 
with like Adam Sandler. He wakes up, he's he's, he's just been napping in Bed Bath and Beyond the whole time. <laughs> I think the same thing because I, I I don't know if I've actually said this on on the on the program or if I've just said it in a private conversation with you, but entertainment by its design is a diversion. It's a waste of time, is what it is. But like, if you break it down to like, are there are there better, more productive things you could be doing with your life than watching Total Recall ninety times? Yes, but <laughs> um, we do it because it's a diversion and because it's fun. And I think for the most part, when they do the whole "it was all a dream" or "it was all you know, it was it was all fake," it's like it can't even take itself seriously in the confines of the fictional rule, like the fictional world it created. It can't even do that. So then it's beyond a waste of time. But for this movie, I and like I'm glad you mentioned Inception because Inception was one of those movies that I really liked and then there were people I knew who said they didn't get it and it and I was like, "Look, maybe I'm just simplistic and I'm not I'm not looking to overcomplicate things. I just took everything they presented at face value." And I really enjoyed the movie. I I think that's the way to go. Yeah, and with this movie you can make a lot of arguments for it being a dream because you know the fact that you you know your favorite character Dr. Edgemar basically lays out the whole third act you know and then even McLean the the smooth talking salesman we didn't even really talk about that scene that was a really underrated scene I thought and it was actually one of the things Arnold Schwarzenegger liked the most about the movie was the fact that you were being sold on a trip you never took um but uh like those scenes did a lot it's like oh they basically just tell you everything that happens but on the and then even when McLean's talking and he says something about wouldn't you rather go to Saturn and then Laurie says the same thing which is kind of weird i don't know maybe that maybe Saturn in that universe was kind of like when people you know talk about going to a far flung paradise and everybody like like there's just a few common ones that people just name drop all the time like Oh, like Bali or Tahiti or, you know, uh, I don't know, the like whatever's hot in the Caribbean. There's like there's like 200 of those islands you can go to. Maybe that's what Saturn was like. I don't really know. I thought I, I wrote that as a note. That's something that might have been telegraphed. But that but if you go by the, you know, the director's statements, that was reality. That okay. first 20 minutes before he goes to recall is reality. And... So they do a lot to telegraph it, but I do think that the movie is real. And the reason, despite all the cinematic stuff that happens, like how Quaid survives all these crazy situations, and like I said, the one thing that was hard for me to get past a little bit was how Melina always would just show up at just the right time to help him. It's like, how did she even find him? Or whatever, but you know that's that's like a that's like a ticky tack thing. That but, that happens in all those movies, though, you know. Indeed, indeed. But uh, the, the universe is always very small. <laughs> but the but the thing with with me is that um, I think that if it was a dream, why were there scenes where Schwarzenegger wasn't in them? Like, why was there a closed door meeting where Cohagen is reaming out Richter for being a fuck up? And then he kicks over the the fish tank because he's pissed off. Right? Why would he, he see would, that? Yeah. Right. That's a good point. That, that like that point. was the one thing that kept me from being in the whole. Oh, it was all a dream camp because if you they they did the fade to white at the end for that reason because if you interpret it that it was all a dream and he he refused to go back to reality that means they just lobotomized him. So which is pretty. Dark. I just 
I just found a 2016 article that has quotes from Verhoeven about this very answer. And he gives a very unsatisfying answer. He says, Total Recall doesn't say whether it's reality or it is a dream, you know? It's really saying there's this reality and there's that reality and both exist at the same time. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, I don't know. I don't like that. That's. So, in other words, I think it was, that's, that's a in universe way of saying we're leaving it up to the eye of the beholder. Right. Right. I, like, know? I know. I know it's maybe it's I don't I don't want to use the word like trendy but maybe it's the more people think it's a more informed opinion because it's telegraphed so much in the movie in several big scenes they telegraph the fact that it's that it's just part of his you know it's just part of their ego trip that he's just kind of making up as he goes along as the doctor said but I think you know if they're going to show scenes that he's not in and it's supposed to be his memories <clears throat> That's kind of a that's a filmmaking trick, and I don't like it. Like that's dis, like that's not really that honest. Plus, something else I picked up. I'm Doctor Edgemar is giving that speech. He's like, you'll even fantasize about alien civilizations as you requested. He didn't request it. It was something they were talking about when he was already strapped at the chair and he already decided all the shit for the trip, except what the girl was gonna look like. Right. So, right. And and there's probably other and, instances too. But even the ones you point out here to me is enough because if this is all supposed to be a look inside his brain so to speak or the out the projection of his dream then like you said those other meetings between people he would never have uh, witnessed would not exist i mean i guess you could make the argument that if it's a dream you'll see parts of a dream like in a dream you could dream anything but the spe the specific purpose of recall was supposed to be implanted memories and like you can't have memories without you in them. That's Mike. I yeah. think we have a case closed here. Yeah. Well, and also Verhoeven said, you know, he tries to keep it all ambiguous. I don't know why he's doing that after all this time. I mean, the movie. I think the movie is still pretty important. I mean, I, we all saw that with how bad the remake was and how far away it. You know, if you didn't like this movie, I can't even imagine how you felt about the 2012 version with Colin Farrell and. Kate Beckinsale. I haven't seen that one. Oh, good for you. I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 well, I typically don't watch remakes um, unless... Like, it's, it, it's rare that I'll watch a remake because I know they, they usually are way worse than the, the original. Like, yeah. I, I, I could think of, I'm sure if I try hard enough, ones that were better. But uh, most, most often than not, not the case. I think, it, I think I a lot of that's dependent on what generation you grew up in. Because, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. Because, like, maybe, there's probably yeah. people, you know, who predate us who think that there have been remakes of movies that they liked from the 50s or 60s, and they don't like them as much because it doesn't... But to us, it's like... Look, I've said this before, and it, it sounds like kind of a, like a weird, uncultured way to look at film, but it is really hard to watch old movies for me. It really like I I've tried to watch stuff from like the 20s and 30s and it's it's difficult because it's just the way people talk and the way they interact with each other and the even the way the movies are shot, especially if they have action sequences. Like if you try to watch um old cop shows from the 70s, like I like I used to watch Kojak a lot when it was on TV. Um and Really? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, don't ask. Um, but like when they would try to do action sequences, it was brutal. Or like the Rockford Files, like there'd be these long car chases with no music, and I would, I would always fall asleep when that would happen. Like there it's would like be watching like watching traffic. What? It's like watching traffic. <laughs> yeah, you're well. You're watching like this. Like if you if you ever if you ever watch the Rockford Files, like that old show from the seventies with James Garner, it's like so, at some point he's a private detective, and at some point there's some car chase, but they shoot it from so far away, and there's <laughs> there's no music, there's almost no road noise or anything. There's like a little bit of screeching tires, and you hear like gravel being shifted and all that stuff, but it's like I would fall asleep every time that happened, and I stopped watching. The, like it was one of those things I was trying to get into some older stuff to see what it was about, and I that I just couldn't stick with it because like every time there's a car chase, I'm gonna pass out. But, but anyway, another great tangent. But back to Total Recall, Verhoeven also said that Schwarzenegger being involved kind of makes it more significant. He said that he he thought like to put it uh, put something in the its real column is like well. Schwarzenegger's in it so that makes it more substantial like right off the bat but I don't know if that was kind of like little mm-hmm. little ego massaging or whatever the case might be so I was thinking yeah, and, yeah. That's a, and that's a little outside the bounds of the conversation too because you got to keep it within the logic of the film but um yeah that's, I mean that, that's that's, a... that's the main thing I can't get past is just the fact that if it's supposed to be memories and they're showing seeds without him. It's like, they're seeing stuff that's not from his perspective. That's really bizarre. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure there's there's a counter-argument to be made for that. But I, again, like I said, my, my film analysis is pretty simple <laughs> a lot of times. Overly simple. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I just kind of took it that the movie, that he was really a spy. And they were trying to play mind games with him. Like I think I think it's better that way mm-hmm. at least. I I don't like the like I said like if 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 all, if everything we watch and everything this character went through and we go on the journey with him and we see all these cool things it turns out being just something uh that was in his mind as he was paying for some sort of retreat because he hates his life then that's kind of lame. Um so I to me anyway maybe some people like that aspect of it but to me I like the payoff better if, you know, whatever existed before wasn't his re- real reality. And, you know, we we got to see all that go down and then all those fights and kills and, and him getting away and, and meeting these people and being on this planet and finding this woman. Uh, is uh, uh, that, that all that not being real would like that just leaves a bad taste in your mouth if you if that, that's what they like. If that was an alternate ending they thought about or something where he just wakes up in the chair like, oh, that was a bad dream. And you're like, oh, uh, fuck yeah, this movie. That'd be awful. <laughs> that'd be awful. Like, you know, another thing about Schwarzenegger's portrayal was how how different he was as Hauser on those tapes as opposed to when he played Quaid. Like, that was, that yeah. was pretty cool, I thought. But um, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed watching this movie for the ninety second time or whatever it turned out to be. I haven't been keeping track. I'm not that um I'm not that far gone, but uh Well, you you seem to allude to a fair connection that it could have inspired other stuff, like you're saying the Matrix with the red pull and that sort of thing. Do you feel uh knowing this movie as well as you do and maybe with the, what came after, aside from obviously the remake, 
that this movie had an impact on other movies that may not be as obvious or things you maybe even heard that it had an impact on you know, that sort of thing you know i was i i know that's a that, that's something uh, that we like to do kind of towards the end of a, of a of an episode but for for me for this one it's like i think that this movie was pretty unique for the time and you made like you made that point and you made another great point about how this was kind of kind of like the jumping off point from practical effects to CGI. Like the only CGI yeah. they really used in this movie was for that scene with the X-ray scanner, which was kind of I I always thought that was super cool when I was a kid. Um mm-hmm. but I just I couldn't really think of any endure because to me this was this was almost to me like a spiritual sequel to RoboCop because it had so much in common with it in That's terms fair. Of, in terms of the aesthetic and um, it didn't have the biting satire that RoboCop had, but it still did in some parts. Like um, where he's at recall, and they have that chart of the fatalities, the shuttle fatalities that actually go up over time. <laughs> like, oh right, and the newscast I mentioned, and like those stuff like that. But um, yeah, to me, the, to me, the feel of the movie was so similar to RoboCop, even though the writing was very different, and obviously it took a much more, it had a much more labored path to becoming what what we ended up seeing but i i had for this one i just could not think of kind of what what the cultural impact would be other than the fact that it was it was a movie that as i mentioned managed to kind of take the blockbuster and kind of a cerebral movie and kind of combine them into like a like a hybrid almost that's fair yeah i i i i think so I'm trying to think of what else Arnold did up until that point, but I really do think this was probably one of the more cerebral cerebral movies he had done, and maybe ever, you know, yeah. uh, because a lot of his other movies were straight testosterone, full fueled, very linear, like b- bad guys. I'm gonna kill them all by myself, sort of, you know, type of thing. Uh, and I I consider Total Recall. In a Arnold trilogy with Commando and The Running Man, because oh. they yeah because they are hokey to an extent, but also very high octane, very entertaining, high kill counts. You know that to me they're they're like this own little Arnold trilogy of mine that don't really have any necessary connection other than Arnold. But to me, when I think of those three, I, I like to pair them together uh, because I, I don't know for some reason that they have like similar vibes for me. And that I'm not saying like this is how it is. This is you know. But so for me, for some so reason, so basically what you're saying there is that you you put you lump those three movies together, but then you kind of think Predator is like a cut above them. Yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. what I got from that. That that was like the subtext. I, I think so, yeah. And I love them all. I love all Arnold movies. So when I told you, like... I don't. Uh, I w- <laughs> well, I, you know, when I say Arnold movies, you know what ones I'm talking about. I'm not okay. talking about Junior, okay? You're, you're, are you uh, talking about Raw Deal, though? I'm not talking about Raw Deal. Raw, cause, yeah, good, because Raw Deal is not good, but... Sorry. No, I, and I've seen Raw Deal, and I agree. But <laughs> I think I think the Arnold movies that, you know, are probably all on our list, uh, the, the vintage... Arnold movies that people know and love. Mm. I like I like the whole slew of them, right? 
And so when I texted you and like we always say to our audience, we don't talk about these movies before we come on here. We just get on and we talk about it. The only thing I said to you was, uh, I know this is a top fiver for you, but this one didn't land as well in the rewatch or something like that. And that doesn't mean I don't like it. I still it's still an Arnold movie that is very entertaining to me. But because I know it's in your top five, I knew I was never gonna get there. <laughs> and uh, I like if unless like the rewatch like blew my mind or something like that, which it didn't. But uh, it's still a really entertaining movie. Still very unique in its own right. And you know I think movies today are lacking that. So. Uh, make more total recalls. You know what I mean? That's all. Yeah, make them make movies where you figure out how to where you figure out how to show a baby getting shot in the head, but not really. Yeah. There you go. I mean, there you go. That level yeah. that level of commitment to the ultra violence. Uh, and it's it's very it's a very entertaining movie. And that sometimes like that that like people put that as like the fifth and most important thing. And it's just Sometimes you want to escape. Sometimes you have bills to pay and you're looking at your bank account and blah, blah, blah. And you just want to say, you know what? I want to step away for an hour and 40 minutes or whatever. And this is the type of movie that can do that for you. And yeah. sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, it's entertaining. But to me, there was so much more to it than that. And Oh, yes. Yeah. It's, you yeah, know, yeah. You, you can get into the, like, it, it is easy to get bogged down in the discussion about whether it's real or whether, you know, whether it was all a dream. When did it all start being a dream? But if you accept certain concrete truths that have been established by the creators of the film, it's actually not as complicated as you want it to be. But, sure. um, I don't know. The, uh, <laughs> I was just thinking about how, you know, with the ending, like let's, let's assume that that ending happened where they created an atmosphere on Mars and, you know, Oh, that's a new one. Blue sky on Mars. Um, and everybody <laughs> can go outside. Well, the, but that's the funny thing that but it would still be like negative 200 degrees outside so that would present another problem a little yeah a little but, chilly but do you, do you think that there would actually be hipsters in that universe who would like talk about how great mars was before it had an atmosphere <laughs> absolutely like, man. I, don't you remember how awesome it used to be to like live in a dome and like <laughs> you couldn't go outside and this fucking maniac could like turn off the air. Mars was just minding its own business, and then humans had to fuck it up. It just there's like such a symptom of like modern like life is the fact that if something that awesome happened, there would probably be people bitching about how they liked it better the other way. It, it would be this. It would be, you know, Mars is a living thing. It didn't ask to be atmospherized. <laughs> We just came and raped it. <laughs> raped Mars with an atmosphere. <laughs> I'm going to drink it. Triple Americana with no milk. <laughs> Whatever those fucking kids drink. Chai tea. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I love how we're just making up a, like a kid. Yeah, like, it's, well, is... you know, it, it's some Martian hipster. So, yeah, probably the people yeah. who were eating in that restaurant that got... Me not the not the mutants the mutants are the mutants are the real deal they're the salt of the earth but, here's uh, the question did, did you catch any pizza places i know they had beer no the only other thing i saw was that they only had ads for pepsi on mars and they had ads for coke on earth right right so yeah i'm wondering if if it was, was anything it would have been pizza hut 
Like, because I don't... Yeah. That was, like, the only chain back then that I think was big enough to pay for placements like that. I don't think think Domino's did that kind of stuff back then. Domino's was, uh, I believe, in... Was it in Wayne's World or was that Pizza Hut also? No, it was Pizza Hut in Wayne's World. Yeah, Pizza Hut was such a beast back then, man. Yeah, they just started um, doing Detroit-style pizza. I'm probably going to get disappointed by one of those later this week. They so, got rid of all of our Pizza Huts. There's only, like, Pizza Hut Express and, like, the Waterbury Mall or some shit. I like, don't know if they got rid of them, but I think they, I think those franchises just failed. I mean, they didn't, like, make a conscious effort to get rid of them. But it was probably, like, those businesses just didn't... Your community didn't support those businesses. It's like... I like how there's no chain restaurants in Western Connecticut that serve breakfast. <laughs> Do you guys have yeah. IHOP or Denny's or Bob Evans or anything? We have Denny's. Oh, you have Denny's. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you have the worst of those three options. Yeah, well, I know a few people who disagree with you, including my brother. Oh, that's, that's not interesting. A, not a big Bob Evans guy. But I think that's his own fault. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, I wonder, so, like, all, like, how would they make pizza and stuff on Mars? In this in this world in this movie, are they importing that? And that must be a really marked up slice of pizza. Then I have no idea. I mean, I, <laughs> this this is all a little beyond me now because I think I think the the colony was it had all the creature comforts of Earth. That was the whole point. It's just, I, but you're talking about growing water. Yeah, where does the wheat come from? Right. Fuck. Great question. I didn't even think about that fucking just like just ruined the whole suspension of disbelief martian pizza fucking martian pizza <laughs> that's what it comes to you talk about simplistic views of movies i'm like but how'd they get pizza <laughs> but, but were there burgers there <laughs> yeah but were there cheeseburgers did there? they have burgers and cheese ravioli <laughs> with no bacon yeah right Oh Christ! Actually, I had lobster, lobster. Uh, yeah, that's that's your new kick, lobster mac, right? That's your I had lobster mac and cheese tonight. Yeah, went for it. How was, was it? Did it go down smooth? Yeah, me and Kathleen split it. It, it worked out. Worked out well for us. But nice. Uh, nice. Um. So so what else? What else? Uh, we didn't really touch too much on uh, Melina. Um, yeah, we didn't. I don't know. It was. Um, with her, it was like that actress Rachel Tickleton. Like she, she, she had her moment in the sun in like the late '80s and the early and mid '90s, and then she just kind of vanished. I know she does like voiceover work and she's done TV work and stuff, but like I just don't know where that push came from. Like it was all of a sudden she was in these big movies, like doing some. Like she was in Falling Down, and she was in um, what else was she in? Uh, uh, she was in Internal Affairs with uh. No, that was no. She wasn't in that. She she played she played a guard in Con Air. Oh, that's right. She was in Con Air. Yeah, she was the one that Johnny Twenty Three was gonna rape. That's fun. Yeah. Um, no, she. Um, I, the one thing I think it was interesting that got left out of the movie was they were gonna add this this detail where she was gonna say that she did some modeling on Earth. That's why Recall had her picture before he, uh. before he went there. But mm-hmm. I thought one thing that was cool about her was that you know she, they they had that they had that really good fight scene between the two of them, and that was one of the first times I don't know if it was the first time, but it was definitely one of the first times that they shot a fight between two women and it wasn't like a cat fight. It was they basically choreographed it like it was going to be a fight with two men, and it was just 
you know, I was actually pretty impressed with that like triple kick that that uh, Sharon Stone did, where she kicked her in the face and then in the chest and then in the stomach. And she did a lot of her own stunt work, right? Yeah. Yep. She certainly did. Yeah. I wait. I didn't really talk about the Molina character too much because she just kind of seemed like I don't know. I I don't. I don't want to say anything like too disparaging about it, but if there was any case for her for that being all a dream, like the, like her character definitely goes in the dream column because she, like her the way her behavior fluctuated and and like the way she, like I still can't just like I mentioned it twice, but just the way she she just always showed up at the nick of time. And the, like, yeah. the way they would work together, like when they were like throwing weapons and holograms back and forth and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, we didn't really... Yeah, she got kind of the short shrift. But, uh, I, I mean, when you're in a movie with Sharon Stone, that's that's probably going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I actually... Now I have to watch Basic Instinct. It's just, like, enough's enough. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I'm just trying to imagine what, like, 17-year-old Johnny would have done if he had watched Basic Instinct. He would have been... I haven't changed much mentally. <laughs> 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 I'm still pretty immature in some respects. I uh, I pay my bills, but I'm still a complete jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good dad, but I'm a total piece of work. Yeah, just like the movies, come for come for the uh, pop culture discussion. Stay for the for the complete self deprecating, yeah, <laughs> psychological exactly. analysis. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I actually kind of touched on everything I wanted to touch on with this movie. I, um, you know, it's still. Uh, well, I gotta ask you the 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 classic question: Is there a favorite scene? Oh, favorite scene! Oh God, it's so hard to pick because there's just so many great little moments. Like, actually, what my favorite Sharon Stone mo- moment is just the part where she where she kind of uh, reveal like reveals herself for the second time as being. Uh, she's wearing that gray pantsuit or whatever, and she's just like she's just like kicking fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger's ass while he's on the ground. And she's like, you know how much I hate this fucking planet. She kicks him in the face. <laughs> like, I like that. Um, uh, God, there's so many great little lines. Like when uh, fucking when they the I always like really like the the fight on the elevator with him and Richter because like that Richter cool. like it he, at one point. He looked completely overmatched, but... As he should have been. It looked like he was kind of hanging in there a little bit because he was scrappy. I mean, I already mentioned the Cohagen speech. For some reason, I really like the Cohagen speech just because it kind of brings everything together. And it, you know, if, if, if anybody's confused or if there's, you know, it's like, oh, this is what's going on. Because I think this movie needed that because... I, I just didn't realize how muddled the writing process was. But the... Uh, yeah, I mean, th- those are some scenes, the, the little moments that stick out for me. As far as, like, scenes go, I mean, I, I, you could pick from any of the awesome shootouts or anything like that. I, I actually remember, I had to have seen this movie probably in... A co- like when it came out on video because I remember I was talking to I don't know why I remembered this but I was talking to a kid that I went to school with and I was actually talking about how Arnold Schwarzenegger kicks really slow and then the kid was like well can you imagine what would happen if that leg actually hit you because <laughs> he was like that part where he you know beats the shit out of the uh, like kills all the guys uh, you know Harry 
his buddy from work, who was also the cop from Die Hard 2, among other things. But um, I don't know, man. It's like, it, for me, this movie has so many great scenes that I really enjoyed. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of them had uh, Melina in them. But uh, I, I think another interesting factoid for this movie is, uh, for Breaking Bad fans, Tony, the one mutant with, the, uh, with, the, with his eye covered up, when, uh, he's, when uh, he, t he says, you got a lot of nerves showing your face around here, Hauser. And he goes, look who's talking. That's, uh, that's uh, Hank Schrader. From Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah. Right. Yes. That was like one I, of his I, first roles. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I remember seeing that. That was, was uh, very cool. Yeah. I, I, I should have been a little more prepared for that because I, like, I know you're going to ask me every show and it's like I always get caught with my pants down. What what, what was your what was your favorite scene? <laughs> probably the final show down with him and his wife um, just because it reminds you a little, it's got a little bit of the old West sort of like, who's going to draw, um, sort of thing. And then he just gets her right in the center of the forehead. Yeah. This movie. And then he, and then he drops the classic, like the classic of classic Arnold one-liners <laughs> for this movie, you know, consider it a divorce. <laughs> uh, I thought that was good. Yeah. It was originally supposed to be consider this a divorce and that he was going to shoot her in the head, but they changed it cause they thought it was too cold blooded or whatever. And you know, cold blooded. <laughs> this movie um, was fucking headshot central, though. I mean, <laughs> a lot of yeah, a lot of uh, kill shots, a lot of accuracy with the weaponry. I, especially, I think, I think the only movie I've seen that had more like prominently featured headshots in it was Enemy at the Gates. That movie should have just been called Headshots. Was that Ed Harris? Ed Harris, Jude Laws, but it was the it was the the sniper movie during World War II where all the right. Russians had British accents and all the Germans had American accents, but yeah. right, right, you know, something you got to right. look past. But uh, yeah, wow. I mean, so, yeah, so many great scenes in this movie. I do remember the shitty video game they made for Nintendo that I could never beat because it was just so badly, it was so bad to play. <laughs> well, that's the theme we've come across on this podcast mm. is how hard Nintendo games were. It's not even just that they're hard. It's like they're just badly designed. And it's like you can't figure out what to do with certain scenes because it's so weird. Like they, they actually had the scene where, you know, you're, you you come home and your wife is shooting at you. Like the Lori character is shooting at you. But you have to punch her a bunch of times to get the gun away from her. And then you knock her unconscious, but you have to do it a certain amount of time before Richter shows up. Because then if Richter shows up, <laughs> he shoots the whole room up and you die. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Like that whole scene in uh, the terminal where Arnold's posing as the woman and uh, Richter like gets a sense of it because the aesthetic starts tweaking or whatever. Yeah. And Two you're like... Weeks. <laughs> And even though you know what happens, it's one of those scenes in a movie where you're like, maybe he won't notice. Maybe he'll go and the doors will close. And you're like, nope. Michael Ironside, that son of a bitch, he's very observant. He knows exactly <laughs> what's going on. So, uh, no, yeah. I mean, that's just another, like, big action scene and stuff where, you know, uh, there's just in a, in a public sphere where all these people are running just chaos, like they're like chickens with their heads cut off. Yeah, um, that's and, another thing about the Verhoeven movies that I'm I like. It's just they are not afraid to, to show the innocent bystanders getting it. No, like I yeah. remember people were very critical about the scene on the escalator where Arnold Schwarzenegger, like that random guy, gets shot, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is using the body as a shield and then spins him around like to take more bullets. And Schwarzenegger actually said in an interview, "Is like, well, what else would? What was he supposed to do? Right. Like, 
Yeah, yeah. Or like when they're shooting up the last resort, like those those random girls are running around in the background. They're like, ah! And they just get shot right <laughs> in the chest and fall down. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like almost like a a movie version of when you go crazy in like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because mov- movies do kind of whitewash that aspect of indiscriminate gunfire a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. any case, yeah, hard yeah. for me to pick a favorite scene. So many great little moments, little one-liners, and things like all that. Right. But uh, I, I would have to say, the Cohagen almost stole the show for me. Like the only reason I saw the uh, the 2012 version, like I knew it was going to kind of be a bus wreck, but I saw it because Brian Cranston was playing Cohagen, and I was like, oh man, I really want to see what he does with that part. And he's in the movie for like three goddamn minutes. Yeah. Real, real bait and switch on that one. I felt like, or me, but it could have been that that much thought, like not even that much thought, went into it. Or, oh, he was only available for that amount of time, and he was white hot coming off of uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, and like this, you know, there's a yeah. lot of variables that come Maybe. into play with that. They're like, let's get, let's boost the gravita- gravitas of this movie by getting Michael Cranston, and like he's only available for what? Fine, I don't give a fuck. We'll yeah. cut half the scenes. Get me Cranston. We'll, we'll put know? him in a. We'll put him in business casual fucking clothes with a tactical vest, so we so people know he means business. It's yeah, like, it's the dad from Malcolm in the Middle with some body armor. Tim, put Tim Watley in a fucking tactical vest. <laughs> <laughs> he converted to Judaism just for the jokes. Jerry, what are you doing here? <laughs> anyway, yeah, dude, like. Richter, like, one of those great scumbag moments out of him was, like, after he, you know, shoots Quato, and he just goes, Mr. Cohagen would like to talk to you. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, Fucking scum fuck. <laughs> All right. Well. Oh, shit. I don't know, man. I feel like I, I I feel like I covered everything. I mean, and then you wanted to talk seeds and all that stuff. Is there anything else? Uh, any closing <laughs> remarks about Total Recall? Well, I'll say this: talking about it um, made me have a, a better appreciation for it because you know I love you, buddy, and it's one of your top fives. <laughs> so uh, it was fun. Uh, it, it's always fun doing this every time we do it. But uh, talking about this movie was uh, made me enjoy it a bit more. Well, that's, that's good, um, man. But I just want you to know, yeah. if you, for for future discussions, like if don't feel bad if you if we don't have the same top five movies because I know we don't. Oh, so yeah, I mean, like, and and there's there might be movies that we do where I really don't like the movie, and vice versa. You know, yeah. you might see you know see one that I picked that you're like, well, this is I hate this movie. But either way, I mean, the discussion will happen. Well, you know, and uh, we'll see what happens. That brings us to the next order of business nicely. So, <laughs> what 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 will we discuss for so, our next for our next installment? I was thinking about the fact that we haven't done a full animated movie yet. We have not. And since this movie was almost rated X, I'm going all the way in the other direction, and we're gonna do a G-rated movie. Oh boy! And we're gonna do Disney's Aladdin. Oh. Next. Okay. <laughs> That's Little cool. Robin Williams. Yeah. Oh, man. I haven't seen that movie in forever. And it's like... I watched it a couple months ago. With, 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 with um, the boy? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. How so, do you like it? And, well, I, I think he's still too young to be fully focused. It's like, you know, he moves around and stuff yeah. and you know, he gets bored a little bit. But I think there were aspects of it he he enjoyed, which is good because it's, you know, 2D animation versus the... 
you know, eye, eye vacuuming visuals of a Pixar where people are just like, wow, I'm going to just watch this just because it looks so cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, traditional little classic uh, Disney animated early 90s, kind of the resurgence of Disney animation at that point in time. Uh, big success that they wound up making a, a live action remake of, and that still holds uh, all these years later. So what do you think about the pick? Um, I, I think it's a great tonal shift. Um, I like I like going from the hard R to the to, to like our first G-rated movie. I think that's really cool. Plus, as as people have probably gathered, we didn't watch a lot of G-rated movies in my household. Uh, this was one of them, though. So um, okay, it, all right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. I'm I'm actually looking forward to revisiting because I honestly don't think I've seen this movie since I was a kid. Oh, cool! That is so cool, man. But nice. I still, right. I but I still had a strong opinion about the live action remake. I thought it was fuck. I thought it was sacrilege, but yeah, a lot of the, some of those are hit or miss for me, um, for sure. But uh, all right, cool. So, um, anything uh, you want to throw at uh, at our audience before I take us out? No, no, sir. Take us all, man. All right. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Just Like the Movies. Like I said at the top, make sure you do subscribe to the show, share it with a friend. Spreading the word is how we grow, so we appreciate that. Social media on Twitter at Just the Movies, Just Like the Movies Pod on Instagram. We're also on Facebook, uh, mainly just posting the episodes because uh, you know who cares about Facebook at this point in time. Um, but uh, yeah, so we got Aladdin up next. We're looking at two weeks from now on that. So uh, we hope you're enjoying uh, the fall weather. Don't get too bummed out about the uh, getting dark early because we're going to keep it light and fun here as always, as always on Just Like the Movie. So until next time, be kind, rewind, relax, and we'll see you around.